0: Everyone needs Christ's abundant comfort. Everyone. There is no one who doesn't need Christ's abundant comfort. To know and to experience the oceans of comfort and multitudes of mercy in Christ, especially now. Many are feeling fearful, even angry. Uh, As this stretch continues, it is a difficult time emotionally. Many find it tough to keep it all together. Dane Ortland recently wrote, People are much more discouraged, uncertain, and scared than their smiles let on. Everyone is battling their way through life, sometimes barely hanging on. They need tenderness, gentleness, and a safe listener their sharp words or withdrawal reflects their own inner pain not so much you even if you are the target of their dysfunction we are all affected by sin the aggregate effects of indwelling sin and we all need relief from the misery that sin brings and comfort is found only in Christ but what happens is we rely upon all the wrong things that we think will comfort us and the non-god comfort solutions that we go to are short-lived or harmful we need god's oceans of comfort and multitudes of mercy to know how jesus comforts you in fear To know how God provides for you and helps you stay the course. Especially through these times in which we are living. Where you can not give in to fear. Where you can not give in to worry. And not stir up dissension. Don't believe all the hype. Don't become contentious. And So near the end of 1 Corinthians. Paul, after he has corrected a church that had lost its bearings by Worldly assimilation and prideful infighting and unwise decision-making and jockeying for position. Uh, there was sin in the Corinthian camp. Their fellowship battered by bad behavior. But right near the end of that letter, he writes, he rehearses resurrection hope. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, at verses 57 and 58. 57, he says, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says this in verse 58, therefore, my beloved brothers, because of the victory of Christ at the cross, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing That in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. He's saying, church, you've done some things in vain. You've gotten a lot of things wrong, but the resurrection hope is what I'm going to point you to. You know, the sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory in our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, because of Christ's overcoming victorious resurrection power because of Christ's comfort springing from the resurrection. You fast forward, one page over in your Bible, but one year later in time, now it's AD 56, and Paul has heard of their repentance. And he writes again, this time starting with comfort. Ten times in verses 3 through 11, in the very first chapter of 2 Corinthians, Paul refers to comfort. And the context of that comfort is our comfort in Christ. And we saw this last week, the truth that true comfort is only found in Christ. We saw the purpose that we are comforted to be a comfort to others, and the supply is unlimited. The supply of comfort is abundant, overflowing, limitless. So Paul, in 2 Corinthians, he sets the tone from the start, and he's just saying, we're going to use comfort here as a picture of life in Christ. Comfort as a picture of life in Christ. In fact, comfort summarizes the entire Christian life that you take justification and sanctification and glorification, all a part of the comfort that God gives to all that Christ saves. And so Paul laces comfort and this theme throughout. And if you look in chapter 2, and you'll notice in verses 14 and 15, that he says, thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, the victory march of a conquering king because he has risen from the dead. And it says that we are an aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. In chapter 3, he speaks of the glory of Christ in the word in verse 18, that we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another and this comes from the Lord who is the spirit in chapter 4 he speaks of unseen eternal things and comforts their hearts in verses 16 through 18 he says we don't lose heart though our outer nature is wasting away Our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this slight momentary affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. He says in verse 18, we look not at the things that are seen. We look at the things that are unseen. Because the things that are seen are temporary. They're transient but the things that are unseen are eternal. In chapter 5, he speaks of the love of Christ compelling us to serve Christ, not self. Verses 14 and 15, the love of Christ controls us. We have concluded this, that one has died for all. It's all based on what Christ has done. And therefore, he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And in chapter 6, he starts out by saying, Working together with him, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. He says, Now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. And then he gets to chapter 7, and he just slathers on, lathers on the comfort. Like six or seven times. Verse 2, make room in your hearts for us. We've wronged no one. We've corrupted no one. I don't want to concern you. I have, I have great, you know, boldness towards you. He says in verse four, I'm filled with comfort. In, in all of our affliction, I'm overflowing with joy. He says in verse six, but God who comforts the downcast. Remember that, God comforts the downcast. Are you downcast today? God can comfort you in Christ. He comforted us by the coming of Titus, a real person who's coming to refresh them. And not only by his coming, but also the comfort with which he was comforted by you. Believers comforted by one another, being in one another's presence. He goes on to talk about a godly grief that they had that produced a repentance without regret. And he was saying how how zealous they were now for the truth and how the forgiveness had been applied. And he says in verse 13, therefore we are comforted. And besides our own comfort, we rejoiced. And so you'll notice that Paul just wants them to know that there are oceans of comfort. There's multitudes of mercy in Christ. Now this is soul strengthening stuff. And this is what we're going to be looking at today because this is what we need. This is what you and I need today. And here's the point in this passage. Jesus keeps and empowers us for his glory. Jesus keeps and empowers Christians for his glory. And I'll just give you two subpoints and I'll give you five applications in a while. Okay, we'll save those till later. But the, the two sub-points are, are this. First of all, Jesus keeps us. This idea of oceans of comfort. He keeps your heart and mind. And the second point, Jesus empowers us. The, the multitudes of mercy empowers your life and ministry. And we'll do the applications later. But first, this idea that Jesus keeps us, this this idea there's oceans of comfort that keeps your heart and mind, this is pointing directly to salvation, hope in Christ. Now, notice in verse 3. Put your eyes on verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and God of all comfort. Now, this ties us to the Old Testament. Now, when Jesus was born, we'll think about Luke chapter 2 for a moment. Mary and Joseph go to the temple in Jerusalem after Jesus is born to do what they're required to do for a newborn baby, but also a newborn son. And they are to give an offering and a sacrifice and all that. And while they're there, they see Simeon, who is it says he's waiting for the consolation of Israel great phrase we looked at a bit last week the phrase consolation of israel is just pregnant with messianic meaning it it points us back to isaiah 40 verse 1 comfort comfort my people says your god comfort And then Isaiah 53, verse 11, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. He shall bear their iniquities. The comfort will come from the suffering servant who will die in the place of his people. And then Isaiah 57, verses 18 and 19, I have seen his ways, but I will heal him. I will lead him and restore comfort to him and to his mourners, creating the fruit of the lips. Peace, peace to the far and to the near, says the Lord, and I will heal him. It points us to Jeremiah thirty-one thirteen. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them. I will give gladness for their sorrow. It's based on the promises of God, the messianic promises of God for a coming deliverer. And through their history, Here is Israel suffering due to their sin, uh, and an oppression from others. Their other sin as well. Uh, Their land taken from by foreign armies. They're slaves in Egypt. They're in exile. They're in misery. They needed the comfort that would only be found when the son of David would come to save, when the Lord Jesus Christ would come to save, and Simeon had spent his life waiting for this consolation. The Messiah to redeem his people. And God had promised him that he would see the Christ. In Luke chapter 2, verses 25 and 26, Simeon says these words, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You prepared this salvation in the presence of all peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles. There's another messianic word. And glory to your people Israel. There's another messianic word. And here you have an old man seeing God's glory in the face of Christ. True comfort is found in Christ alone. Jesus said in John 17, 3, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. The apostles preached, Acts 4, 12, there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus, there is salvation in no other. There is comfort in no other. His comfort is abundant life. Where he says in John chapter 10, I came, they might have life and have it more abundantly to the full. His comfort is abundant life. I hope you know this comfort today. It's the comfort that is, that is spoken of in the Heidelberg Catechism. Question one, what is your only comfort in life and in death? I am not my own. I belong body and soul in life and death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood. He set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. And the answer ends this way. Because I belong to him, Christ by his Holy Spirit assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. There's your comfort in Christ. Now question two of the Heidelberg Confession says this, what must you know to live and die in the joy of this comfort? Three things. First, how great my sin and misery are. Second, How I am set free from all my sins and misery. And third, how I am to thank God for such deliverance. This is the heart cry of every believer. Oh, how great and sin are my misery. But I am set free in Christ from all my sins and misery. And I am to thank God with a yielded life for such deliverance. Peter says, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, speaking to believers and their identity, he says, but you, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. And once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Jesus keeps you in him. There are there's oceans of comfort in Christ for you. He keeps your heart and your mind as a believer. Are you a believer today? then you have abundant oceans of comfort in Christ. He keeps you. Secondly, Jesus empowers us for him. There's multitudes of mercy that empowers your life and ministry. These are sanctification's blessings. And go go to verse 3 again with me. It begins, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies. This points out that he alleviates the misery that sin brings, that his wrath is appeased by mercy. Now, a lot of people will picture God the Father and say, well, he's just so angry, but Jesus is so loving. Nothing can be further from the truth. Yes, his wrath had to be appeased, but it's the wrath of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And here is the truth. That the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit agreed in eternity past to redeem sinful people. It's the pactum salutis, the covenant of redemption. The triune God decreed before the foundation of the world. Thomas Goodwin put it this way, God is more the father of mercies than Satan is the father of sin. The word for mercies here, oiktermon, occurs only five times in the New Testament. It occurs in James 5, verse 11. It's synonymous with compassion. James 5, 11 says, you have heard of the steadfastness of Job. You have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. That word merciful is a rich word. It means much compassion. It means greatly compassionate. It's synonymous with merciful. Compassionate. Here's what God does. He multiplies compassionate mercies to his needy, wayward, fallen people. He multiplies compassionate mercies toward you in Christ, and that empowers your life and ministry. The Father Of mercies. This takes us deep into God's heart. As one put it, the triune God is three in one, a fountain of endless mercies, overflowingly providing for us in all our many needs. And then this God is much more tender of you than you are or can be of yourself. Think of the tenderness that you might have toward yourself. God is much more tender toward you. Much more merciful than you. You have many troubles in your heart. And you have trouble in this world. This can feel overwhelming. And John 16, 27 tells us the Father himself loves you. God is a loving Heavenly Father. Psalm 103, verse 13, as a father shows compassion to his children, the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of understanding. Fear God by trusting in Christ. You know, in Micah 7, verses 19 and 20, it says he will again, this very end of Micah, he will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. And then it says this, directly to God, you will cast all our sins in the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. You see, God's mercies are rooted in his covenant faithfulness to his gospel promises. So you are comforted greatly in Christ to comfort immensely. Verse 4 tells us this who comforts us in all of our afflictions so that we may be able. You're comforted greatly in Christ to comfort immensely. Now in Christ, as you have been comforted by the gospel and comforted in salvation and forgiveness and mercy being showered upon you, now you are able to comfort those who are in any affliction. You can do it because of the strength of Christ in you, your hope of glory. Jesus keeps you, believer, and there are oceans of comfort washing over your soul, keeping your heart and mind, even when you're not aware, even when you're sleeping. And Jesus empowers you with multitudes of mercy coming your way, empowering your life and ministry. How can these oceans of comfort and and multitudes of mercy just Just sink on down deep into the nooks and crannies of your life. Let me give you five applications. Five ways that you can redeem this season of adversity with oceans of comfort and multitudes of mercy at your disposal. You have the riches of Christ, believer. You don't need to cower in fear. So what would be the first application? First, see the hand of God providentially in your life. See the hand of God in in the moments of your life, providentially orchestrating. You'll notice in this passage, Paul says, verse 6, if we're afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. For comfort, it's for your comfort which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings. And our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will share in our comfort. And then he says this, I don't want you to be unaware of the affliction that we experienced. He says we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength, we despaired of life itself. Well, that's very honest. Are we that honest? Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. That was to make us not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. We, we despaired even of life itself. But Paul could see the hand of God providentially orchestrating in times of leanness, when he's pared down to the basics. And this is true of us today. In times of leanness, when we are pared down to the basics, I think that little things become more significant in our hearts and our minds. Little providences, little providences that tell you that you have a big God. God is sovereign and he is providentially orchestrating the events of your life. See the hand of God in the moments of your life. I'll tell you a simple story. Just this week, some yard signs came in that our staff got to encourage people to put up in their yards and join us for live stream services. And the other day, I was delivering some to some families, and so I deliver one. And as I'm driving, um, and then I come back uh, to where I was, a friend texts me and says he needs to talk. And I get on the phone. As we're talking, I ask him, you want a yard sign? He says, yes, please. And so I say, I'll drive it over to your house. And so I go over to his house. I drive to his house. I've already dropped one off. I'm dropping another one off. And this guy's got a table in front of his house. He and his wife has this table with with a Jesus sign on it and with uh, a prayer request thing. And do you need a Bible? I mean, they've given away a bunch of Bibles. Uh, They've had over like 40 prayer requests uh, through this whole COVID-19 time, all from a little sign table, you know, in his front yard. But I, I get to his house I leave the sign, and I'm walking back to my truck, a a biker, someone on a road bike, pedaling the bike, stops right where I'm trying to get into my my truck. And and I look at the person, and it's a friend from church. And so we talk for a few moments. we're very happy to see one another, we haven't seen each other in a while, for quite a while, and it made my day, it really did. I was able to see my friend for just a moment. But it it happened to be the family that I delivered a sign to right before. um, in another part of town and so that was like well that's, that was weird only God could orchestrate that because God orchestrates little merciful events that we don't usually think much about on a regular day in a regular season you're not thinking about oh I ran into a friend but now seeing a friend is a bigger deal right? so here's what happens next I, I, I decide to go and, and drop another one off at someone's house by surprise like they didn't ask for one okay and so I, I put it in their yard and then I take a picture and I text them and I say, look, I'm not trying to be presumptuous, I'm not trying to be pushy, but I put a sign in your yard. <laughs> and they, they, they say to me, they write me back and they say, no way, we just called the church and asked if someone could get us one. I'm like, oh my goodness. And it reminded me immediately of Isaiah 65, 24. Before they call, I will answer them. And I just think to myself, well, that was just a little thing. I got a big God. And, and Jesus is keeping you. And he has this and everything else in your life. And if you can orchestrate a little event like meeting a friend right at my truck who I had just been at his house delivering a a sign to like a half an hour earlier, you know, he's got the rest of the parts of your life. You see God's hand. Secondly, yield to God's spirit scripturally. Yield to God's spirit scripturally. Stay tethered to the word of God. See, in 2 Corinthians 1.10, when he says, look, he delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will yet deliver us, on him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again, based upon the word of God. He said right before that, this happened to make us trust not in ourselves, but God who raises the dead, the resurrection God. You know, in Colossians 3.16, it tells us, let the word of Christ dwell in you. Richly, abundantly. You know, just pour it in. Keep on bringing it. The word of God needs to dwell in you richly. The word of Christ must dwell in you richly. The parallel passage is Ephesians 5.18 that says, don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Because the same outflow, singing to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, both in Colossians 3 and Ephesians 5. The idea is that you would continually yield and engage In the word of God and let the spirit of God use it in your life and submit to God. If you break down Ephesians 5.18, it's very interesting. It says, don't get drunk with wine. And you're like, how does that affect anything here? What are we talking about? Where's the connection point? Philo, back in the day, wrote wrote a treatise called On Drunkenness. And he said this, drunkenness is a mark of a blind, foolish man who is a slave to the world. Drunkenness produces the inability for self-control. And then it goes on to tell us, if you look in some of the history of this, that religious drunkenness was seen in the Bacchus festivals in the worship of Dionysus. In those days. This is the background of Ephesians 5.18. And so, this is in the negative with the present imperative. It's don't get drunk with wine. Stop the action that's in progress. This is to prohibit a habitual action. This is the idea of saying, don't blatantly and senselessly celebrate to a false god. Now that was well known in the ancient world in those days. And in those days, the worshipers of Dionysus felt united and indwelt and controlled by Dionysus. They felt that they were given special powers and abilities. To be filled literally means to be controlled by And here's what it means for a believer. The indwelling word of God, applied by the indwelling spirit of God, should continually control and dominate your life. In stark contrast to Dionysus worshipers, to be filled, the present tense, a habit, a continual action, you're to receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls, as James put it. You're to be good soil, like the parable of the soils. Don't reject the word of God. Don't be rocky soil that, you know, the cares of the world just choke it all up. Weeds and thorns. Make the word of God personal in your life. Read it, pray it, share it. It's a salve for your soul. It's a balm for you. It's an ointment that needs to be applied. Just apply it now, in your life. You've got a lot of thoughts that heavily influence your emotions you need your mind transformed by the word of god apply it to your to your to your soul psalm 119 verse 50 says this is my comfort in affliction that your promise gives me life the psalmist is saying your word gives me life gives me comfort in my affliction Psalm 119 verse 76, That this psalm is all about the word of God. It says, let your steadfast love comfort me according to your promise to your servant. And then verse 82, my eyes long for your promise. When will you comfort me? In the book of Acts, it tells us in chapter 9 verse 31 that the church was walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit they multiplied. They were following the word of God and being comforted by the Holy Spirit as they took the word of God in. This is like Romans fifteen four that says whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. That through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. The word comforts you. This is why Gideon Bibles are in hotels. Psalm 94, verse 19 says, when anxiety overwhelms me, you felt overwhelmed recently with anxiety? When anxiety overwhelms me, your consolation delights my soul. That's the word of God consoling you. When your anxieties multiply like a swarm of bees circling you, God's comfort delights Your soul lifts your soul, bolsters your soul, strengthens your soul, helps your soul. Your mind gets renewed. God has met me in my distress. I was worried about something last night. I couldn't get to sleep. The last two nights in a row, I couldn't get to sleep. And I just said, I'm going to apply what I'm preaching. Cast my cares upon the Lord because he cares for me. And God consoles my heart with objective truth. Drives away subjective speculation. You know, all the what-ifs of life. Proverbs 13.10 says, through presumption, that's all the what-ifs of life. Oh, no, what if this happens? Oh, no, what if that happens? Through presumption comes nothing but strife. It'll get you nowhere good. Just stirring up possible scenarios. The Word of God consoles your heart. The Word of God is all you can eat, by the way. You can just go back over and over again. Like, like I don't know if buffets are coming back, okay? I don't know if they're coming back. But I will say this you can go and eat as much as you want of the Word of God. This is like Jeremiah 15. This is like Ezekiel 3. This is like Revelation 10. Eat this book. Eat this book. It will be sweet like honey to the soul of a believer that needs comfort. It's like Nehemiah 8. Bring the book. Bring it so we can read it and we can repent and we can obey and we can love the Lord our God with all our heart and mind and soul and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves. You realize that if it was not for Christ and Scripture, you wouldn't have a, a framework to see his handiwork in the details of your life. So first, see God's hand. Second, yield to God's spirit. Third, enjoy God's fellowship. Enjoy God's fellowship joyfully through the pleasure, through the pain. Remember when he said we despaired of life itself, but God delivered us? Well, you you gotta just get involved with soul-bearing prayer before the throne of God. Remember, Hebrews tells us that we can come boldly to the throne of grace to receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Causes Fear to flee and changes your perspective. Isaiah 26, 3 and 4 says, He will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed or fixed on you. Trust in the Lord forever, for in God the Lord we have an everlasting rock. So in prayer, cast your burden upon the Lord. Fellowship with the Lord. Commit your troubles to the Lord. Ask him for peace and joy. Colossians 4, 2 tells you, devote yourself to prayer. Focus your mind on prayer. Psalm 62, verses 1 and 2. I love this this psalm. It says, For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. A rock is a shelter. It's like an overhang. You can just... Stand and be safe. A fortress is a tower, an inaccessible, unassailable, high place where no one can climb up and steal you from God. No one can climb up and overpower God. No one can take you from him. You are safe in Christ. He keeps you and he empowers you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and then look at verse 21 in this passage in this chapter and it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us verse 22 and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee there you have the fellowship of the triune God God the Father The Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Spirit, they are co-equal, they are co-eternal, they are co-existent, and they help you in times of feeling alone. You have the fellowship of the triune God with you always. I think there's something there about our fellowship with the Trinity. God helps you in a time of crisis. Comfort. Comfort, my people, says God. Comfort. It's, by the way, comfort is something altogether different than what we all often think. Comfort is not an allowance that God just gives you to spend however you like. It's the triune God indwelling and inspiring you. It's Christ's work before the Father through the Spirit, energizing your heart and mind and life and ministry. And so always on point, Paul said to Tim- Timothy, God had not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. English Puritan John Flavel spoke of special seasons of life which require utmost diligence, times of prosperity, times of adversity, times of persecution, danger, distraction. And here's what he said. Consider solemnly that the things that you fear should really happen, yet there is more evil in your own fear than the things you feared. And not only is the least evil of sin worse than the greatest evil of suffering, but the sinful fear really has more trouble in it. And you are so afraid. Fear represents troubles as much greater than they are and tortures your soul much more than the suffering itself. Just stay fixed on Christ, not fear. Be steadfast and joyfully fellowshipping with the triune God. See God's hand, yield to God's spirit, enjoy God's fellowship. And fourth, refresh God's people and do it persistently. Do you know that Paul said to the Corinthians in this letter, I resolved not to write with the same strong words I had before. People can take only so much. They needed comfort. This is why Paul themes comfort. What we need to do, and, and you'll notice that he says, all these things about their prayer for them even and their relationship with them. Six and seven, we're comforted by you and your comfort and you're impatiently enduring and and you share in sufferings. We share in comfort together. You need to minister to your family in Christ. You need to find creative ways to keep up regular worship of God in your heart and in your home and with God's household. You need to fellowship with others where you share your life and your resources because isolation increases dismay and your mind goes downhill. You gotta find ways to connect. You gotta find ways to worship and sing and praise God with his people. And some of you are saying right now, you're yelling at the screen, we can't. Find ways. You can find ways. Get creative. Remember, Psalm 46 tells us God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. We will follow God's instructions to be still, to relax, to yield, to let go and know that he is God. And even in the problems, even in the afflictions, Charles Haddon Spurgeon said it this way, I've learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. So you're in struggle and trouble and hardship right this moment. Learn to kiss the wave that throws you against the rock of ages. Kiss those waves together with your family in Christ. Long to be together. Love one another. Preach the gospel now. You know People are thinking of death. And continue when life goes back to relative normal. See God's hand, yield to God's spirit, enjoy God's fellowship, refresh God's people. And fifth, serve God's purposes and do it single-mindedly. Remember what Paul said in verse 9 here, God who raises the dead. We are to rely on God who raises the dead. He's reminding them of their resurrection identity and ministry. He calls them even, you get to chapter 8, he calls for generosity with the God-given bountiful blessings. They needed to see the fields white for harvest. Think about it. We're saved to serve and to give cheerfully. Comfort is not you getting something that you need so you can pursue more of what you want. Like, well, the problem's out of the way, now let me go be as you know, worldly as I can be. We need abundant comfort in Christ because we're abundantly weak and needy. Comfort in Christ energizes you to take your eyes off yourself. That you say, oh, I want to comfort others because Christ is my life and my hope of glory. See, comfort turns you upward and outward, not inward. Comfort is the basis for your ministry. It encourages you and energizes you and invigorates you. Think about it. Jesus is always with you. And he wants to use you as a conduit. Of comfort, grace, and mercy, and kindness, and sacrificial kingdom service to others, all to exalt Christ, where you take your eyes off yourself and focus. On the call to be a comfort to others, where you love the least, where you give to the hungry, where you cast your bread upon the waters, where you choose the fast that God chooses, Isaiah 58, 6 through 11, and that you stop seeking your will and you seek his. Just like Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Remember what the Lord said to Paul, 2 Corinthians 12, he said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. So you need to come to Christ and you need to find comfort in Christ and then carry others to Christ. Think about all the sorrows in your life that you've needed to be comforted for. Think of all the sorrows in your life right now that you need comfort for. Well, God is going to bring you a thousand. The last thing that you're thinking right now during this time, during social distancing and during quarantine and during coronavirus crisis, maybe the last thing that you are thinking in this time is that there are oceans of comfort and multitudes of mercy for you in Christ because your soul feels afflicted and, and you feel that the situation must change for you to be content or to have any comfort. But biblical life a believer, not based on feelings and emotions. You're not promised control. You're not promised to escape difficulty. Life is going to have its times. Just as lovers pledge loyalty, there'll be times of plenty and want and joy and sorrow and sickness and health so long as we all shall live. Comfort is not something you just go get when you need it. It's not like a child running to its mom when it's afraid or hurt. It's not like going to the store. If you see comfort that way, you're going to approach God like a vending machine. I'm sad, swipe the card, out drops comfort. I'm downcast, swipe the card again, out drops relief. That's not how God works. His comfort is altogether different. The gospel is comfort. All of life is affliction, all of salvation in Christ is comfort. We are strangers and aliens, not of this world. The conflict won't end until Christ returns. Jesus said in John 14, 1, let, not, let not your heart be troubled. I go to prepare a place for you. I will come again. Through Christ's comfort makes you long for heaven. Your sin will be removed. The curse fully and finally eradicated. And until then, God is with his people. Comforting. With his powerful presence, like Isaiah 41.10, I am with you, I will help you, I will strengthen you, I will uphold you continually. On December 25th, 1973, Jim Murray, who wrote for the Los Angeles Times, in his column that day, wrote these words, A view of the ocean is a great healer in bad times. Its very immutability is a reminder that what has gone wrong in your life, in your little life, is not a fly speck on the grand and mysterious design of things. It can be an ocean of tears, but in the best of times, it can be an ocean of joy. He goes on to say, the ocean can take the life of a bather caught in a rip in four feet of water, or it can spare a man who bobs on its surface on a plank for two months, 2,000 miles from the nearest land. For believers, oceans of comfort, multitudes of mercy overflowing through Christ, the one who is gentle and humble in heart, the one who sympathizes with you, the one who deals gently with you, the one who will never cast you out, the one who saves you to the uttermost, your advocate, Christ, your tender friend. In all the trials of your life, all the afflictions, Can you see God's comfort? Even when you don't feel comforted, you are. God's comfort to you right now in Christ may not feel like a warm blanket, may not feel like a a puppy in in your arms, or being told you're right, but it may be a hug from a friend, a loved one. It might be just a knowing look or a note from a friend. You may feel the comfort, but most likely you'll know it. It probably won't change your circumstance, but it will refresh, refresh your perspective, and renew your hope, and instill resolve, and bolster your faith, and sovereignly and silently, even by stealth, God will bring comfort to your heart in Christ. It, it probably won't look like jumping up and down celebrating, but it will be the settled assurance that all is well and all will be well in Christ, who is your life. Like a light shining in a dark place, like a lighthouse, like the safety of a strong tower. So you can rest assured that the ocean of comfort in Christ is fuller than the deep blue sea. And the fountain of mercy has multitudes more than any supply of on earth. God's promise in the garden to crush the, 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 to crush the serpent, the devil, through a promised deliverer and redeem his chosen ones and remake fallen humanity and renew the world has begun to come about. So just lash your heart to the mast of Christ and let any storm assail let it blast full force on you. You will never be moved from the fixed place that God set you upon the rock of Christ, the unassailable, immovable fortress of the Lord and whose cross is the gateway to joy, as Elizabeth Elliot put it, and whose life we find life and limitless supply, oceans of comfort, multitudes of mercy, Jesus keeps you, Jesus empowers you for his glory, all because of God's deep, deep, love, how deep the Father's love for us, how vast, beyond measure, that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure, let's pray together. Lord, we praise you, we thank you for the oceans and oceans of comfort, and multitudes of mercy that are to be found in Christ, and I can't even speak well of it. They're so deep, so wide, and so great. But We thank you, Lord, for the truth of your word that holds us and keeps us and empowers us. All for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name.